Our text today contains a paradox. At a time of fasting for God's people, they were supposed to feed the hungry. Isn't it our natural human instinct when we feel like we don't have enough that we want to conserve? But in fact, the kingdom way of living is to be supernaturally empowered to give to others. Sometimes the sanest thing we can do is something that seems completely irrational to the human, carnal, or fleshly mind. We have two stories that we'll examine today. Two groups of people in impossible situations. A widow and a group of religious leaders. And they're faced with an impossible circumstance, but God's provision sees them through. Let's get into it at Arlington United. The book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you will break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry? Notice the irony of that. During our fast, we bless others with sustenance. Isn't that amazing? Deal your bread to the hungry. And you bring the poor that are cast out to your house. Rather than being downtrodden, Jay, you have some people over. It doesn't sound like fasting time according to the way we structure, but that's what God said. His fast is like. We, we look for needs and we try to meet those needs. When you see the naked, you cover him. And don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Look at what God's promise is in verse 8. If you do that kind of fasting and that kind of focus, here's what God promises. Your light will break forth as the morning, and your health will spring forth speedily. And your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your re reward. The promises of aligning with the kingdom of heaven are magnificent and really beyond our comprehension. But I'd like to unpack this a little for you today with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to encourage you that when you align with heaven, great things happen. I like to call it the multiplier effect. I like to call it the multiplier effect. Lift your voice, Poppy, and ask the Lord to bless us as we hear his word. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day today. Thank you for the opportunity to come to your house to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Bless the word today, Lord. Bless Clay as he delivers your word today, Lord. We bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Two stories today. One's an Old Testament story. One's a New Testament story. They both involve dry places, one by climate and one by drought. They both involve out-of-the-way places. In fact, both of these places were known for what it was next to. You ever heard asking by where they live? You say, well, close to so-and-so town. You say, well, how far? And they tell you, but they don't tell you where they live because it may not have a name or it may be an obscure name up around Tipton County. There's a place called Shake Rag. And anybody who's from Shake Rag usually starts by telling you kind of where it's close to because it's, a, it's an obscure place. 
Both of these stories today happen in obscure places. Zarephath was a place that belonged to Sidon. In other words, it was close to Sidon. Well, it's, it's kind of near Jackson, or it's kind of over there by, by Oakland, but out, you know, Hickory Width is between Arlington. You describe a place by a larger place if it's an out-of-the-way facility. The desert place of the New Testament, the Bible says it belonged to Bethsaida. So both of these places weren't thoroughfares. This is not on anybody's radar screen. It didn't make any Condé Nast magazine of uh, places to go to and have five-star cuisine or accommodations. They're, they're dry places, out-of-the-way places. I'll just give you a preview right now. God knows how to get to dry places. He made them. He knows how to get to out-of-the-way places. He made them. There's a GPS on your soul, a God positioning system, where you're never lost as long as you're willing to turn to him. He knows where you are, and he knows where to find you. I could tell some stories in this place, and we'd be here a while, because I know from your own mouths how God has found some of you and how he's found me and where he's brought us from. God knows how to deal with that. In both of our places today, these out-of-the-way places, Zarephath and one, it's just called a desert place. It didn't have a name. They were just there. It was next to Bethsaida. Both of these places had an insurmountable need. In one place, there's only three people. In another place, there's probably around 13,000. But there's an insurmountable need that meets these people in a dry, out-of-the-way place in both these stories. Now, the wonderful thing is that both places were blessed because there was a powerful man of God that met the people that had the need. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it good to know somebody who can get a hold of God? Y'all are probably all really glad that Sister Anita is here today. She seems to be one of those people when somebody needs prayer. They, 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 they like that. They like to talk to her because she knows how to, you know, seem like she just got a reputation for knowing how to pray. Mark and I were talking this week, Brother Mark, and, and uh, he, he was talking about something. He said, well, my wife prayed for me, and she's got one of those red buttons, you know, or some, some way he says it, like, you know, she can, she can get a hold of him. You know, there's certain people you just love for them to pray for you because you've got confidence in their walk with God. Both of these stories, there was a, there was a man there that knew how to connect with God. Well, that's all well and good, but the real key to these stories is they both had faithful people who were willing to do something completely against human nature to release God's power into their situation. You can have a need. You can be in a dry place. You can be desperate. You can be in a place where nobody knows about. And God's power can be available to you. And you can have somebody tell you how to access it. But if you don't respond in faith, you can walk away just as needy as you came. Because hear me, church, God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. It's not the desperation of your circumstance that gets God's attention. It's the faith in your soul that has enough confidence in him. Because when you exhibit faith, what you're showing is, I believe in him more than I believe in this. And when you believe in him more than you believe in that, God begins to unleash his motivation for you in his power to change 
your circumstance. Anybody can testify that that's the truth today? There's a widow at Zarephath, and she's going to build a fire. And then she tells the prophet, she says, I'm going to, what are you doing there? The prophet says, she says, I got two sticks. I'm going to build a fire. I'm going to cook a meal, and then I'm going to die. Now, here's, here's something that's marvelously ironic. The word Zarephath, if you look it up, it, it, it actually means the smelting house. This was right in between the, the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. And the way you make those metal ores is you take rocks out of the ground that you've mined, and then you get them really hot, and the metal melts and comes out of it. And that's what made the Bronze Age possible, all these beautiful artworks you see in museums, or the Iron Age. Zarephath was a place of smelting. Now, I'm not going to take too much license with this scripture today, but I will tell you that it is very likely, very likely, that this lady, who was a widow, it's likely that her husband, who was deceased, was a smelter. He was an iron ore worker or a bronze worker. We don't know that, but she lived in a place where that went on all the time. Now, to melt rock into iron, you've got to have a hot fire. You gotta have more than two sticks, Nick. Put your craftsmanship on that. You gotta have you gotta have a pile of wood to get it that hot. What is the irony that a lady who was used to thousand degree temperatures and bellows and working where you had to just sweat all the time? She's only got two sticks left. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances where even our strength becomes a weakness, and we can't even do the things that we used to take for granted. Every day, likely, this lady either participated in building those huge fires or, or she walked past them, and that was the economy of her village. But in a three-year drought, you can't find any wood anymore because you've burned everything up and the trees aren't growing anymore. And everything was gone, and she had two sticks left. And she tells the prophet, I'm going to be two sticks, I'm going to make a meal, and then I'm going to die. Now, Jay, how would you like to be a member of Pastor Elijah's church? Listen to how he responded. Will you go ahead and do that? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Brother Mark, you called me one week and said, I was feeling so discouraged. I think I'm going to quit. Sounds like a great idea. Talk to you next week. <laughs> wow. I'm glad God made Elijah a prophet, not a pastor. I'm not sure I could sit under Brother Elijah. He's pretty rough. People were praying to the wrong God instead of instructing him. He mocked him. He's one of those... Fire and brimstone kind of guys, pun intended. And so he's sitting there and he says, he says, well, you go ahead and do that, but while you're at it, starving widow woman, with a son to take care of, make me a cake first. Starve yourself, make me a cake first. You know, you and I, can you imagine Elijah's board of deacons? What were you thinking? We've got hashtags with you on it. The church has a terrible reputation. The mayor called. It would be awful. If any of you had a need, and I said, sounds great, put me first. But what Elijah knew that the widow didn't know and what the board of ministerial ethics might not understand is that verses prior to that, God had spoken to Elijah, and he said, I've commanded a widow to sustain you. You don't sustain people on two-stick fires. Now, I'm not sure if Elijah understood how all that was going to work out or not. I'm not sure if God revealed all that to Elijah or not. But what he did reveal to Elijah is 
You go to this widow woman, and she's the one who's going to take care of you. So while Elijah's saying, go ahead, knock yourself off, verbally, what he knows spiritually is that it's not going to happen. God is going to work a miracle in this woman's life. Let me tell you something. A word from God is better than a word from CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or the Wall Street Journal or the Commercial Appeal. And I love the Daily Memphian, but it's better than that. When you get a word from the Lord, it's better than your IRA account. It's better than your degree on your wall. It's better even than a doctor's report that says everything's okay. Because if you have a true word from God and he's made you a promise, it is ironclad, pun intended. He's going to work it out. I thank God that we serve a God who eats impossible for breakfast. He knows how to take care of those who are headed out for two stick fires. 13,000 people there on the side of a hill in a place that doesn't even have a name. And they've been there two days. That's more than a 13-minute sermon. Jesus apparently had a lot of material. And so he's just healing and preaching and healing and preaching and healing and preaching and right and left and right and left. And then he gets all fired up. And then, you know, as I hasten to a close for the 14th time, I'm using my imagination, Jesus turns around and says, hey, I bet all these people are hungry. And it's a long way back to Bethsaida. And he asked Philip, this is so funny to me. He asked Philip, he said, what are we going to do with all these people? Can you imagine Philip? I mean, this is the one who made the universe. And he's saying to you, Scott, we're having a dinner for 13,000. What do you think we should do? <laughs> Philip, says, Philip says, Lord, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, that's, that's a day's wages, so there's 12 of them. He's basically saying, do the math. Lord, if we worked about 15 or 16 days apiece, we couldn't earn enough bread to feed all these people, and they'd only get a little. I love those who are planners. I, I love those who, who, who get it all out on the Excel spreadsheet. That was Philip, and the Lord asked him that question. Let me tell you, sometimes God will ask you a question he already knows the answer to because he wants you to try to get your head around something that he's about to do. And he wants you to know that it's impossible on your dime and on your calendar and on your talent set and on what you can manipulate. And he wants you to understand that you are now in a corner where you need a helicopter to get you out of it. You need the Lord to show up and do God things. You need the Lord to show up and do things that you can't do. So Philip says, Lord, you know, we don't have time. They'll starve by the time we earn the breakfast. They didn't have cash money. He says, what do you got? Andrew says, hey, I found somebody. He's got two fish. But then Andrew asks the question of last year. What are they among so many? And then Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And something happens. He, he, he blesses it and then he breaks it. And we all love the blessing. Not many of us like the breaking. Then he, then he takes it. And the Bible says, this, this is so amazing to me, so amazing to me. It, it's in Mark. Now, all four of the Gospels contain this story. John 6, Luke 9, Mark 6, and Matthew 14. But they each tell it from a little bit different perspective. A little bit different. They saw different things, and the Holy Spirit allowed them to write it down in Scripture. But Mary, if you, if you read the book of Mark's account, the Bible says, this just, this just blows my mind. Blows my mind. The Bible says the two fishes he divided 
among them all. And the them refers to the 12 disciples. So he took two fish. We got two sticks. So you can divide those among three people. God just always does everything bigger and bigger and bigger every time. The next time he says, you take two fish, we're going to divide them among 12 people. And then he turns with, with their little bitty fish stick. These weren't halibut, mako sharks. I don't know what they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee, but probably, probably perch of some kind. And he takes them, and Nick, after he's gotten 12 people to divide two fish, he says, okay, Philip, have at it. You take, there are companies of 50s, okay, 12, 13 times. Okay, you take, uh, you take 20 companies of 50, Philip, and you feed 1,000 with your two fish sticks. We've gone from fire sticks to fish sticks, but we still need a miracle. Here's the point. The fish didn't multiply when they left Jesus' hand. He divided. The fish multiplied when they left the disciples' hand. That's when the multiplication begins because God works on a different mathematical principle than you and I do. When we don't have enough, we start conserving. We get greedy. We scrooge it, and we say, I've got to conserve because I don't have enough. But what God says is, if you will trust me with what you have, I will make it more than enough. Because Jehovah Jireh, his name is provider. He can't separate himself from the miraculous. It's who he is. It's what we call him. He gets involved in your life. You're never going to run out of what you need. Do you need to make it plain for you? Paul said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. If God runs out of gold streets, you'll run out of what you need. If God runs out of walls of jasper, you'll run out of what you need. If God runs out of holiness and integrity, you'll run out of what you need. But until that day, you can stand flat-footed and say, no matter the circumstance, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. Because I believe if I'll give, God will have men pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's going to give back to me. Sometimes the sanest thing you can do is do something completely crazy. Sometimes the most rational thing you can do is be a lunatic according to the mind of the flesh and the ways of this world. Why would someone going through a physical struggle pray for someone else? Why would someone who's having trouble sleeping at night intercede for someone else's peace? Why would someone who's been saving and saving and saving to get a new floor for the kitchen decide, I need to give some of that money to the missionaries this month? Why would somebody who's struggling in their family and having a challenge, why would they take on somebody else's burden? Don't they already have enough problems? And why would they go to God and say, Lord, I know I've been praying about my child or I've been praying about my wife's health or I've been praying about my finances, but Lord, can we just set that to the side right now for a minute because there's somebody else in our congregation that's got a need and I want to pray for them because I, I, I got my two-stick fire over here, but I just believe if you get involved in my situation, you're going to multiply your power in it and I want you to bless somebody else. Amen. The disciples were hungry too. They didn't pack a lunch, Rebecca. But rather than grumbling at Jesus about what he wasn't doing for them, they got involved in the multiplication business. 
Rather than saying, little boy, I'm glad you brought your tithes today. I'll take a tenth of your fish stick. They started handing it out. And before they were done, there were 12 baskets of fragments that were left over because everybody left needing those Sansabelle pants. Everybody needed sweats when they left Jesus' sermon that day because by the time God is through multiplying things, when you give what you have away, it becomes miraculous. Let me tell you, don't do the math. Do the miracle. Don't do the conserving. Do the trusting. Don't do the scrooging. Do the Jesusing, if you will. Get involved in his process. Get involved in the miraculous. And God will release his power into your provision. If you see yourself as a provider, you're never going to have enough. Why do rich people, very rich people, why would they ever lose sleep over money? Because if you're the provider, you don't ever have enough. And if you can stack it on top of stacks, you're one heartbeat away from it all going away. It's all vanity, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. But if you see yourself as a provider, you never have enough. But if you see yourself as a distributor, you will never have a shortage. You know why I'm not worried about money today? Because I walk before God with an open hand. I don't own one thing. I got some deeds at my house. I got some titles at my house. But the, the Shelby County or the federal government may think I own those things. But it's really, it's not true. On those deeds, if you could see it in spiritual ink or invisible ink, I'm using air quotes here, it, it really belongs to God. My health belongs to God. My family belongs to God. My profession, my job, my education, my provider is not West Clinic. My provider is not Methodist Healthcare, and I thank God they're very generous to me, and I thank God for what they've done for me, and I thank God for that association, and it's a wonderful blessing. But if it ends tomorrow and I'm making a two-stick fire again, I'm going to tell you I've been young, and now I'm not so young, but I've never been forsaken. I've never had to beg for bread because I'm not my provider. My gifts don't come from me. They come from Him, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. I want to encourage you today, church, get involved in the giving game. Get involved in the faith game. Get involved in the miraculous. Get involved in not conserving anymore. I'm not talking about being a poor steward. I'm not talking about profligate use on your own lust or your own desires and, you know, I need a red car, a yellow car, a green car, a black car. Not, not like that. No, no, no. I'm talking about giving out to others as the Spirit leads us to do so. And this type of giving is not only financial. It's, it's not only financial. We give our talents. Give our talents away. We give our giftings away. Paul said, freely I've given. Freely I've received. And so freely I give. I, 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 I'm not going to begrudge you. Jay, if I came over to your house and you said, hey, man, come over. I, I cooked some burgers. It's, it's February 9th. We can have them again. And, uh, and, and I, I cooked some. Come over. And we're going to have a good time. The end of that, we had some coffee. Again, it's February 9th. We're sitting back there and knocking that coffee back, watching his cats run around. We're talking about palliative care, and we're talking about, hey, Jay, I like those books. He brings out three or four I hadn't read, and I get all jealous and everything. I've got to get on Amazon try to find it. <laughs> At the end of that meal, you said, that'll be $32 plus 18% gratuity. I've got to be honest, Jay. I'd be offended. 
Yeah, because you invited me into your house. If God invites somebody in your life and you've got something they need, you know, why in the world, if you're struggling to have peace, would you give away some peace to somebody else? Because it works. Because, Lord, if I'm struggling with peace, the way to get more peace in my life is not to begrudge you any. Don't bother me with that right now. I've got no time for you. I got my own stuff to work on. I got no, you know, you're the mama with the drama, and you know, I'm not your llama, and you know, whatever. You know, I, being mean to other people won't make you feel better. Sometimes the best way to get more peace is to give more peace. Sometimes the way to receive more joy is to be more joyous to others. Sometimes the way to have more love in your life is to give it away like your life depended on it. There was a movie one time where this character, the only way he could keep his inheritance was to give away a bunch of money and to get rid of it. And honestly, that is the case of the Christian today. The only way we can sustain the riches that God has given us is not if we store them up in a big can. There used to be a statement about the Holy Spirit, get all you can and can all you get. Like it was some kind of perishable item. Good people, bad theology. I want you to give away all the Holy Spirit you can contain. I don't want you to be a pressure cooker. I want you to be the, like the Hoover Dam that breaks. I want everybody in this church to share the love of God with everybody that you find. To share the truth of God. To share the peace of God. To share the righteousness of God. Because the more you give away, the richer you're going to get in love. The richer you're going to get in mercy. And the richer you're going to get in righteousness. I don't know how many, I don't know how many months or years it was that the widow went to that cruise of oil but she I, I wonder she just looked at the thing like that and put her eye you know it dripped on her eye looking to see where the bottom of it was you get involved in the miracle business and God will make sure that he's involved in the provision business you get involved in the service of others and God will make sure that you've got enough when it's over you get involved in passing out your little fish sticks and you're going to find that you've got baskets at the end I want to be a giver would you stand with me today if you're the source you're sunk but if he, you're the steward and he's the source, you're unsinkable. You're unsinkable. I'm tickled as I can be today because I'm standing before a group of people who have this principle in your pocket. And I mean it in the literal sense. It's in your pocketbook. Y'all joke on me that I went to the wrong seminary because I sometimes even forget about the offering in terms of receiving it, and y'all still give. We can have ice one week and COVID one week and you come the third week and you just bring, you just bring finance. You just, you're faithful people. We never have to talk about it because you always, the only time we talk about it is to commend you for your giving. So I praise you today because you understand this principle in your checkbook. But I want to challenge you to equally make this principle part of your calendar. Make it part of your intercession. Make it part of your passion. Make it part of your walking and your talking little lady over here with a hat she made cards so now where she goes she just leaves those cards and prays for people don't be around town soon you'll see one of Anna's cards that she's dropped off because she's not a two stick fire lady she's a cruise lady she's just shucking it everywhere she goes she's just giving out she's just giving out just giving out 
Y'all be on the lookout for Nick, this guy. He's a quiet guy, Paul Bunyan looking dude. I'm going to tell you, he's going to do things for Christ because he's got a spirit of giving inside of him. Some people, and you don't know what's going to happen when you lay hands on somebody in Baptist and Candace. You say, we can pray right now. Can I lay hands on you? You lay your hand on their forehead and they just burst forth speaking with other tongues. You never know, Brother Jim. You lay hands on somebody that's having a struggle. My back's been hurting all week. Could I pray with you for a moment? What are you doing? What are you doing? My back's been hurting. I ain't got time to pray for somebody else. I need pray for myself. No, 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 no. That's a two-stick solution for a big fire problem. That's a, that's a fish-stick solution for a 13,000 crowd problem. What we need is to say, I'm going to get involved with the giver. And I'm just going to be a conduit. He's going to flow through me. And, and he'll make sure I got what I need while I'm tending to what he needs, which is to get to these people. The Bible said he fed the whole crowd because some came from far. You never know why he's blessing you. He might be blessing you just so the overflow can get to somebody who's been crying out to him for years. Whole reason you came to this service today and lifted up the Lord might be that somebody on Zoom or in the room needs more blessing today than they needed last week. And you might be blessing somebody with the overflow. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit so strongly here right now. I feel the Lord challenging us because he is more than enough if we'll just open our hands, if we'll just open our hearts, if we'll just open our mouths, open our eyes and open our minds to say, Lord, move through me. I'm not going to build two stick fires anymore. I'm not going to treasure my two little fish sticks. I'm going to give away whatever I've got. I'm going to give it away because I believe, Lord. I believe if I give away peace, I'm going to have more. What are you doing? I got two fish. I got two sticks. What are you going to do with it? Give it away. What's in your hand? I, I got a little card. What's on your card? It says you're invited. What's on that card? Well, it's a picture of five uh, pieces of bread, two fish. What are you going to do with that card? I'm going to pray with somebody this week. I'm going to text somebody. I'm, I'm going to take somebody some leftover casserole. I'm going to buy somebody a meal. What's in your heart? Just a little piece. Not as much as I'd like to have, but a little bit. What are you going to do with that piece? Jim, I'm going to give it to anybody I can find. What's in your soul? A little faith. Well, don't you need great faith? Well, he said if I got a mustard seed, he'd move mountains. So I'll tell you what I'm doing with my mustard seed. I'm not going to compare it to your barrel that's full that you've got. I'm just going to take my mustard seed and I'm going to say, Jesus, if you cast the devil out of a boy whose father believed a little bit, but he didn't believe some, and he was honest, I'll just take my mustard seed. Will you handle my problem? I'm going to have faith for somebody this week. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to get everything out of my hand that I can get. I'm just going to distribute it because I'm going to believe that God's going to replace everything that I give. I'm going to bless somebody this week. I'm going to bless somebody this week. 
I'm going to pray for somebody this week. I'm going to call somebody this week. I'm going to kneel before God and call out somebody's name this week. My marriage needs help, but I'm going to pray for somebody else's marriage. My kids need help. I'm going to pray for somebody else's kids. My body needs help. I'm going to pray for somebody else's health. My finances need help. I'm going to pray for somebody else's finances. My church needs to grow. I'm going to pray for somebody else's week. Because if I'll give, he'll give. And there'll be more left over than I ever thought I needed. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody believe with me today. Lift your hand to heaven. Somebody believe with me today. Lift your hand to heaven. Would you open that hand to God? Would you open that hand and imagine all of your treasure, all of your time, all of your talent, everything that you have, your reputation, your family, your home, your profession, your finances. God, it's yours. I give it, I give it, I give it. What do you want me to work with this week, God? What do you want to revolutionize? What miracle do you want to work? I'm giving it, Lord. This altar's open right now. If you want to be a giver, come down here and meet the, the one with a capital G. If you want to be a distributor, come meet the provider today. This altar's open to anybody who wants to pray this week that God will use you. Will the Lord use me this week? I invite you to come forward and ask the Lord to use you. His math is different. When we think we have too little, He knows that He already has more than enough. When we think life has divided our treasure and our resources, our confidence and our faith, what He knows is that if we will place what we have into His hand, if we will allow Him to bless it, allow Him to break it, and if we will distribute it, there will be more than enough to meet our need and even the needs of those around us. I want to be a giver today. I want to be one like the widow at Zarephath and the disciples on that hillside next to Bethsaida. I want to trust the giver enough that I too will give. What about you? What about you? Thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. Thank you.